Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4, and KOA News Radio. I'm your host, Dominic Duzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me tonight is Sean Boyd, political specialist with CBS4 News, and political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on the minute 70. If passed, Colorado's minimum wage will be raised from $8.31 to $9.30 next year, increasing $0.90 cents at the start of every year until it reaches $12 an hour in 2020. Joining us for the next 30 minutes are Felicia Gorman of Colorado Families for a Fair Wage, a proponent for the amendment, and Tyler Sandberg with Keep Colorado Working, who opposes Amendment 70. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. We have limited time, so let's get right to it. Sean, do you want to start us off? I will. So in July last year, Washington, D.C. raised its minimum wage to $10.50 an hour. This year, again, raised it to $11.50. Um, according to statistics from the Bureau of Labor, in the last six months, D.C.'s restaurants have cut 1,400 jobs, the biggest job loss in 15 years. Meanwhile, restaurants in Virginia and Maryland, which didn't see that hike, have added jobs. In Seattle, too, which raised the minimum wage, has had jobs lost. Why would it be any different in Colorado? And Felicia, I want to start with you. Well, when we raised the wage back in 2006, um, we saw positive job growth, both in rural and urban Colorado. Um, you know, and many other cities that have raised the wage have also saw uh, positive job growth. And so, um, you know, I don't see that there is going to be a difference. Um, what happens when low-income folks or working folks um, make more money? Um, they put that money back into Main Street, um, and that grows businesses um, and also increases jobs. So I, I don't believe that 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 we're going to have the same kind of response. Tyler, what do you think? I think it's a very serious concern. And we've talked about studies and projections. These are real examples. And this is the first time in America where minimum wage is reaching double digits. So they're referring to lack of impact when minimum wage goes from 650 to 675, 650 to $7. We're now seeing ramifications for the first time ever in American history on double digit minimum wages. And what they're doing is killing jobs. And so I would say to those 1,400 workers, their reality is very real. They now have no wage. There's 1,400 people in the restaurant industry, and D.C. has one of the most booming restaurant industries in the country. It's one of the hottest restaurant scenes. So this is, this is a market that's already very strong, but the minimum wage increase has caused these people to lose their jobs. Not only have 1,400 people lost their jobs, a number have lost hours as well. In Seattle, um, they raised the minimum wage by $1.50 last year. And a, st a, a study commissioned by the city of Seattle, done by the University of Washington, nonpartisan study, found that workers have seen no increase in their take-home pay. They did two analysis. Under one analysis, they saw five dollars more yes. per week. Under a second analysis, they've actually lost five dollars in take-home pay. So essentially, even though they've seen a dollar fifty increase and a forty-hour work, work week, they should have seen sixty dollars more in take-home pay. They've seen essentially nothing. And one percent of low-wage workers in Seattle are less employed now. There's one percent less employment, so they've either lost their job. An average worker who didn't lose their job has actually lost enough hours to make that increase completely nullified. So if you're trying to help low-wage workers in Seattle, you haven't helped any low-wage worker families because on average, they haven't gained any take-home pay. They've lost hours or they've lost their jobs. They are 1% less employed than people on the suburbs in Washington outside of Seattle. And in D.C., 1,400 have straight up lost their jobs. So we're saying from our side, we support minimum wage increases. And Colorado already has a law 
on the books, minimum wage goes up every year with inflation, according to the cost of living. So if Amendment 70 fails, minimum wage will continue to rise in Colorado. We're saying if you raise it this far, you're going to hurt jobs. And you're going to hurt the exact same low-wage workers this measure is intended to help. Before we get to our next question, Felicia, I want to apologize. It's Felicia Griffin, not, Fle yes. uh, not Felicia Gorman. We had a Linda Gorman on the last show, so a little bit of a, a wrong genium on the brain. I apologize. Uh, let's get to our next question. Eric. Sure. I will start with you as well, Felicia, and we'll have plenty of tough ones for Tyler uh, when, when the time comes. I want to talk about the geographic issue here. Can you explain why in, why in drafting this amendment there is a single standard, and it's the same standard for Denver, as it is for Craig over on the Western Slope or for Colorado Springs as it is for Trinidad or Lamar, when we all know those economies and the cost of living are very, very different. What is the logic behind having a single standard everywhere in the state? The logic is, is that families and workers cannot survive on $300 a week, which is $1,200 a month in any county in the state of Colorado. And many, many, many small businesses already pay higher wages than the minimum wage. Um, we've got hundreds of businesses that are signing on, and many of them already pay um, higher than the current minimum wage, and some even 12 and over. And so the standard is, if you look at the Colorado self-sufficiency standard, um, there is not a county where people can meet their basic needs. Um, and $12 is really low. This is an extremely modest request. And uh, we on purpose phased it in so that businesses could adjust to it, right? It, it's $9.31 next year, right? This does not fully phase in until 2020. By that time, our economy will have grown, costs will have rise, have rose. Um, we already, if you look at $300 times 12 or times uh, 4, so $1,200, rents in the urban areas already outpace that. I've been in rural uh, Colorado lately, and folks are having a hard time also in rural Colorado founding, uh, finding affordable housing. So there's no way in any county that folks can live off of 831. And we, we value hard work. Folks are working full-time at 831 an hour and should be able to meet their basic needs. And I guess I'll put it to you, Tyler. If there was some geographic variance built into this proposal, would you and the committee you represent uh, have a different feeling about it? This campaign wouldn't be here if there was a compromise. There was actually back in March, uh, the Colorado Restaurant Association and the Colorado Association of Industry met with the proponents. It was the union operatives from the AFL-CIO and the SEIU who led the charge in this. And they said, can we come to a compromise? Can we look at a 10-10 minimum wage? Can we look at a longer ramp to get there, maybe 2023? Can we look at a, uh, a small business exemption? Can we look at a rural rate that r reflects the fact that in rural Colorado, they're not seeing the cranes and the booming construction you are in Denver. They are still living in the recession. Um, and so we said, can we come to a compromise? And we were told, no, there is no room for compromise. And in fact, Governor Hickenlooper criticized the campaign proponents just yesterday on 9 News saying that um, it's really problematic that for rural Colorado, for family farms, this is going to be very devastating. It's going to make the cost of their product be so they can't even break even on their cost at the market. Um, and for small businesses that work on small profit margins, you know, small family-owned restaurants that make 3 and 4% profit margins, there simply is not the money to do that. So a deal was tried to be created with, with the unions who are funding this. And, and there's a reason why there's one statewide standard, is this was written by out-of-state unions. Ninety percent of the money has come from out-of-state unions, primarily unions based out of Washington, D.C. This is a political goal for them to win in a swing state in a presidential year. And we don't think the political goals of unions from out-of-state should supersede the impact on rural Colorado families, rural Colorado communities, and small businesses that are operating in very small profit margins. Can I respond to that? Sure. 
great. Um, so it's totally incorrect. Um, basically, I have a totally different recollection. I was not at the meeting, um, but it was a meeting that was, from what I um, know, was called by the Restaurant Association. Um, and there was only one option that the Restaurant Association was willing to do, and there was no compromise after that. So that's the recollection that I have of that meeting. Um, we definitely went to the table and would love to have negotiated um, because, as Tyler said, I mean, they're interested in raising the wage, uh, maybe 20 cents a year, I don't know, um, whatever, it's not going to meet folks' needs. Um, I think I've already been interviewed on this, but I will share that um, <laughs> you guys just got a $250,000 contribution from Virginia, um, so you're also getting your funds from out of state, um, but we've got hundreds of Coloradans and funders that are actually funding this initiative. Um, the polling is saying very clearly um, that Coloradans need a raise. Um, if we just, all you have to do is walk outside and see that there are a lot of have-nots that are struggling in our communities all over the state. And you know, 831 is just not going to cut it. You know, Colorado, we believe in hard work. We believe in people working hard. People are working hard and not being able to make ends meet. And that's not fair. Sean, can we get your next question? So let me follow up on that, Tyler, with you. What is a livable wage in Colorado. You know, as Felicia points out, $8.31 an hour, $300 a week. Sure. I mean, these are people who are on public assistance, so we're going to see the cost of public assistance going up, too, if we keep it at this. So so what is reasonable? So what you're hearing out of the, the proponent side when they're talking about what they think a livable wage, you're, they're talking $22 an hour. Does any Colorado voter really believe that small businesses could afford $22 an hour? So this is not about what we believe people should get, because we believe everyone should have a living wage. This is about what is affordable to the economy. This is about the unintended the consequences. I think every voter would like to see raises, wages raised for everybody. But the problem is what happens? What are the unintended consequences? And what we say and what studies from Seattle and D.C., not studies, real impacts of what's already, already happened when they raise the minimum wage to a really high level is, is people have lost their jobs. So we're saying that this is not actually going to help the same, the same low-wage workers. Both sides want to help low-wage workers. Um, we say that by allowing it to go up with the cost of living every single year, Colorado already has a solution in place that Colorado voters approved back in 2006, and it's risen 61% in the last 10 years. Another 44% would simply go too far. So the idea is not what we should pay people, it's what the economy can afford. So let me give you an example of a small family-owned independent restaurant. The average restaurant, $15 meal, so you get a $14.99 steak sandwich. Um, what does the restaurant owner make out of that? Because that's where this wage increase is going to have to come up, out of their profit. Out of that $15, the restaurant owner only makes $0.60 cents pre-tax profit. The labor costs over $5 already out of that $15. So if you raise, and for restaurants, the wage is actually going to go up 70% because it's a tipped wage without getting too lost in the weeds here. But so their biggest cost of a $15 meal is going to go up 70%, and, he's, and the restaurant owner, he or she, is only making $0.60 cents profit. The profit margin literally does not exist. And so we asked restaurant owners in Colorado, a couple hundred responded to a survey, what would happen if the minimum wage went to $12? 90% said they have to raise prices. 72% said they have to let go of workers. Low-wage workers are paid on an hourly basis who now have no job if this raises. So it's not helping the low-wage workers who now lose their job. 71% said they have to cut hours. So now you see people with a higher wage with less hours, so their take-home pay, their ability to make ends meet, has not been approved one iota. Um, and 20% said they have to close locations. So you're talking about losing jobs here. You're talking about low-wage workers who are losing hours and losing jobs because this measure simply goes too far. Colorado is one of the few states in the nation that already has a minimum wage that goes up every year. We have a solution that won't kill jobs, but this solution simply goes too far. 
So please let me ask yeah. you this too as a follow-up. Um, I think a lot of people think of the minimum wage workers, they're the teenagers, right? They're entry-level positions. Who are these people that we're talking about and why is it so important that they make the livable wage? Right. 86% of these people are not are working folks over 20. The average minimum wage worker is 35 years old. 130,000 of these workers are parents with children at home, right? And I, I just have to ask, I mean, all you have to do, I, I challenge all of you to take the minimum wage challenge anytime we're, we're, we're launching it. There are several of our elected officials that will be taking it. See what you could do on that, right? And, and you can't live on that. You can't even, in, in Denver, you can't even, housing and you're done. There's no food. There's no transportation. There's no clothes for your kids. And so it's just not feasible, right? And that is not the Colorado that we are. And I just want to really respond as well. Um, the Colorado restaurant industry projects registered sales of over $10 billion in 2016. And that is 8% growth. Okay, so I'm really excited. We're booming, right? We have to just make sure that we're sharing all of the boom and all of the revenue that we're making as a state with the workers that are keeping our cities running, right? There's plenty of room to raise wages. This is a modest increase, just $12 an hour, and not for another four years. But the Washington, D.C. restaurant industry is booming, and they've lost 1,400 jobs. So would you be okay telling those 1,400 workers that, sorry, you were just the cost of, of doing business to raise wages? Um, there are unintended consequences. Emotionally, we all support raising wages. It is rationally thinking what will actually happen here. Mark Twain once said, there are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics. And that's what we're getting out of the proponents, uh, which is not true. I encourage you to look at the one true statistic. Um, that on, they keep citing this, but they can never tell us where they get it from. Look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Half of minimum wage workers are under 25. Almost two-thirds are under 30. And what's also really important to learn here is that the average family income of a minimum wage worker is almost $60,000 a year. That's the Colorado average. So the average minimum wage worker is not taking care of their family by themselves. They are not the single mom that the proponents are trying to say. We're not saying those, those stories don't exist. They absolutely do. And we want to encourage um, the government to help get them education training, help them get better jobs. They deserve support, absolutely. But the average minimum wage worker family income is almost the state average, which is around 63000 So we're talking about people who are part-time. Two-thirds of minimum wage workers are part-time. Half are under 25. These are entry-level jobs. And by getting rid of them, you're, you're losing the opportunity to give people their first job. Because of these raising minimum wages in New York and California, uh, Wendy's has now put in 6,000 kiosks. No longer do you order from a person at Wendy's, use a touchscreen. 6,000 jobs that will never exist now. Those are tens of thousands of people who will not get their first job, will not be able to make some extra money on the side, or pick up a second job if they need to. These jobs have essentially gone away. So you price them out. We're saying help low-wage workers, but don't do it in a way that harms them. Felicia, let me jump in for a quick question. And I guess it's more about... I don't have all the statistics between tip rates and all that kind of good stuff. I, I, I drive by, I live in Highlands Ranch. I drive by a Good Times and they said they're advertising now hiring at $10 an hour. Now, I'm assuming that they're advertising that because they can't get someone to work at $8.31 an hour, even $9.31 an hour. But that's what that market is driving for that Good Times. I can't imagine the Good Times in Walsenburg is offering the same hourly wage because they might be able to get someone that could work at a lower wage. So. Why isn't the separate markets around Colorado, like if I'm working, if I'm expected to work at 16th Street Mall or, you know, at uh, Union Station, we're making a lot more than I'm working at a diner in Walsenburg, but it's because of the different markets. Why isn't that solving the problem? I actually, I mean, 
I would I would love to to get some examples um, from Taylor of businesses that pro they're probably paying their family members. A lot of those smaller businesses are family members in small towns. They're friends. They know each other, and they take care of each other, right? So I'd be really shocked that a lot of those folks are making eight thirty one an hour. They're probably making a lot more than that. Um, and also in a lot of our ski towns and, you know, in order to be able to keep people so that they, they could barely afford, there's a housing crisis in those towns as well. There's nowhere affordable to live. Um, and so 12 is modest. I mean, we did not go to 15, right, um, for that very reason. 12 is a modest rate that the whole state um, can pay, and that really gives folks a chance to be able to pay for the things that they need to survive. Um, and I've never heard of the, I loved the data source for your 60,000 um, number. Sure. Well, until I just fired the same market-based question mm -hmm. at you. I mean, if mm -hmm. it's, um, if we're having the market solve this, uh, do they need a push for establishing that floor? I guess if we, if we could say, you know, difference between Highlands Ranch and Walsenburg, but at some point, the, uh, a rural community does need to be protected, so there has to be some sort of minimum there. Uh, does there need to be an established growth more than what is currently in the Colorado Constitution? So it's by the cost of living, which factors in the cost of housing, rent, food, gas, utilities. So it goes up every single year. With, and as I said, it's gone up 61% in the last 10 years. We're not opposed to minimum wage increase. We're not opposed to minimum wage increase. It already goes up every single year. We're saying if you go past the market, what you do is you lose people jobs. You lose them hours. It's the negative blowback. And so if we could do it in a way that would not create blowback, and we did try to have a compromise here. And they could, uh, Felicia says we only threw out one option. I would encourage you to go to the Secretary of State's office. There are actually numerous compromises filed with the Secretary of State for a variety of ramps, a variety of tip credit compromises that were not just thrown out in a meeting. They went through the legal process and filed them, and they were not chosen um, because the, the union campaign would not compromise. Um, so absolutely, we support a minimum wage, but we do realize that the cost of living in Walsenburg and cost of doing business for a small family-owned restaurant simply is not the same as a big corporation in Denver, and we shouldn't hold them to the same standard. Other states have recognized this. In Baltimore, they're looking at raising the wage, minimum wage, but there's an exemption for anyone with less than 50 employees. Employees. Uh, in Oregon, they have three different rates. They have a rate for Portland, a rate for um, major counties, and a rate for rural Oregon. So uh, that's something that could have been pursued here and wasn't, and that's why we're facing this debate today. Yeah, you probably what? wouldn't have someone sitting in this chair if that compromise had been hammered out back in March. It was pursued in the state legislature, so we are prohibited from doing local wages in municipalities, so we cannot do that. That's true, but that's a misnomer. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a city raise higher than the state average, but there is nothing in law that says the state of Colorado, through the legislature, right. can set a rural rate and a metro Denver rate. That can be done and that was not pursued by the proponents. And that's okay. a big part of why we're here and why Governor Hickenlooper was leveling such harsh criticism because this compromise could have resolved this issue and we could have found a safe and healthy way to raise the wage without yeah. harming rural Colorado. Let's get more questions while we're here. Eric? Let me jump in and maybe we can keep answers a little shorter um, to, to maximize time here. I have a question for each of you. I'll start with you, Tyler. There are a lot of free market conservatives out there, and I think some funders of your campaign as well, who would argue against any minimum wage and basically on theory saying let the market sort this out as opposed to government prescribing a wage. Do you agree with that, and what do you say to those supporters among your base? As a spokesman for Keep Colorado Working, we support the minimum wage increasing in law already, which is the cost of living. It's the Denver, Boulder, Greeley. That doesn't even factor rural Colorado. We're doing a front range cost of living increase that's going across the whole state. And that's working for Colorado right now. So I would disagree with people that says they don't have to be a minimum wage. As Keep Colorado Working, we support the minimum wage. We support it increasing. We just think if you go too far, you have blowback and you hurt the very same workers that you're trying to help. 
and for Felicia, will you acknowledge that there is a trade-off here and that as part of that trade-off, yes, workers employed will get a little modest, as you say, boost in their take-home, but there will be fewer workers employed in some businesses and some marketplaces that you're helping some, but at the cost of some jobs. Would you acknowledge that trade-off? Um, I would say that we don't know that yet. I mean, that's yet to be seen. There could be some job loss and there could not be any, right? We do not know that at this point. Um, I really think that we need to um, we need to focus on our values as a state and, and raise the wages um, so that folks, I mean, the thing about it, if there is some job loss, the jobs that will be out there will be at a higher rate. So folks will get a chance to make $12 an hour when they find a different or a new job, right? And we're not just talking about restaurant workers here. We're talking about folks that take care of our elders and our grandparents, nursing assistants. We're talking about teacher's assistants. We're talking about EMTs that come to call on us, right? These these are folks that are making, that are that that deserve to make a wage um, that they can live on. Sure. So, there were some news reports. I want to address this just out front here with both of you. That um, some of the canvassers for this initiative were paid less than twelve dollars an hour. And I know that your group responded that this was a clerical error. How do you let a clerical error happen? on something like this. This is your issue, right? right? I mean, would you would you forgive King Supers if they made a clerical error and oops, we forgot to pay our workers $12 an hour, but it was a clerical error, you know? Right. So we vended that out to a vendor and they have rectified the situation and and paid those folks and corrected it. Um, you know, I've I run a nonprofit organization and I've worked in business before. I've seen clerical errors happen, and you cut another check and you fix it, and that's what happened. Don't think Tyler. it was a clerical error. They are part of a national group called the Fairness Project that is running exact same ballot initiatives, twelve dollars by twenty twenty, in Maine and Arizona. Well, just what happens? Their partner in Maine did the exact same thing. They were advertising jobs for less than twelve dollars an hour and said, "Oops, clerical error. Just kidding." Now we were called out on it. So they were operating the free market. The free market says we can pay. Uh, signature gatherers $11 an hour and hired them, and they were hired for that. And then they got caught being minimum wage hypocrites, and all of a sudden numbers changed around. What's even fascinating about this is when they did their clerical error fix, they reported actually paying the canvassers about $50,000 less than they reported originally. So the report says they paid a DC firm, Fieldworks, about $950,000 to get on the ballot. Um, their second report, when they fixed their clerical error for not paying people the wage they're demanding small businesses pay, I found that they only paid the workers who did the actual work of collecting the signatures about 330000 So their D.C. consultants got $2 for every dollar that the minimum wage worker got. So if they're for minimum wage workers, why is there all their money coming from out of state? Why is it all going out of state to D.C. consultants? And very little of it's actually ending up in the hands of the workers they claim to represent. A short question. A very short question, 30-second answers. Can each of you identify the top two contributors to your campaign to date? We'll start with Felicia. Um, the Fairness Project would be one, and um, trying to think of the list. I'm going through the numbers. 
Tyler, if you could go, I just need a minute to sure. think. Uh, restaurants. Um, it's been restaurants like $2,000 from the Main Street Pizza Shop in Telluride, or the. Um, what about, uh, is there a $250,000 contribution? So they have donated together and combined, um, and they, uh, it's come from the Hospitality Issues Pack, which is restaurants giving, is our biggest contributor, and then the Fairness Project. Uh, sorry, the Workforce Fairness Project, which supports opposing union bullying, and that's what we have here. We have. Uh, out-of-state unions trying to force a wage across all of Colorado for their union benefits, and it's hurting rural Colorado. So out they of came and donated because they see a union bullying happening here. Felicia, did you have any other sources you want to? Yeah, I'd have to look at the list, okay. mm -hmm. um, but they're the largest. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, and can I just also, also share that um, it, it happens a lot in Colorado that our local Colorado funders and donors don't get behind this until it's on the ballot, and we've seen extreme increase in support for this measure um, among funders um, as well as individual Coloradans. It is time for our closing statements. We offer each of our uh, each of our representatives one minute each to make their case. Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. One minute. The floor is yours. So to all undecided voters out there, we support raising wages. We want to help workers. There are a variety of ways to do it. Unfortunately, raising the wages this far, enforcing that same rate in small businesses as you are big corporations, and rural Colorado as you are Metro Denver, will harm communities. It will harm the same low-wage workers that this is supposed to help. They're going to have jobs laid off, and we've seen this. 1,400 people have lost their jobs in D.C., a much more expensive city to live in than Colorado. They've lost their jobs. And in Seattle, they've lost enough hours on average to see literally no extra dollars in their take-home pay every week. So we believe supporting wages and increasing worker pay is a good thing. It's how you do it so you don't harm people inadvertently. And we're saying what happens here is they did not compromise and create a rural rate. They did not compromise and create a small business rate. They did not compromise and fix the tip credit issue for small independent restaurants. Because of that, the way this is written by out-of-state interests, it's going to harm Colorado, and it's going to harm the exact same workers that it's supposed to help. So we urge a no vote in Amendment 70. This is simply not the way to do it. It's going to cause more harm than good. Tyler, thank you very much. Felicia, well, you have one minute. Great. Um, raising the wage is both smart and fair for Colorado. Uh, the problem is the minimum wage has not kept up with the skyrocketing cost of living across the state. Full-time Colorado workers bring home less than $300 per week, not enough to cover even the basics for their families. 130,000 of those are families, as you probably are, um, and live in poverty with their children. The wage is so low that many full-time workers who want to be self-sufficient are forced to rely on food stamps or other public assistance. It's smart because when working people have more money in their pockets, they spend it on Main Street, boosting our local economies. This initi initiative is scheduled to put a billion dollars into our economy and impact almost 500,000 workers. Amendment 70 will build a strong economy so real people can take care of their themselves and their family. They can take care of the rising housing costs that we all face. It's fair because working families will be able to put food on the table. Please, I urge you, Amendment 70 is a local, local <laughs> initiative. Um, it is not being brought down um, by special interests. We've been working on this for over two years. So please vote yes on Amendment 70. Well, that is all the time we have for our look at Amendment 70 and raising Colorado's minimum wage. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us, Felicia Griffin and Tyler Sandberg. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Sean Boyd and Eric Sonderman. If you'd like to find out more information about any of the general election or ballot issue races, please visit our websites at cpt12.org, 
slash election or cbsdenver.com and koanewsradio.com. Be sure to join us next Friday, September 16th at 9 p.m. as we look at Amendment 71, which would require petitioners to gather signatures throughout the state's 35 Senate districts in order to qualify to amend the Constitution. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching.